Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And again, I'm sliding into first, trying to get the radio program going. <laughs> and computers are working slow, and so we didn't even get intro music to start with. But I'll add it later to the recording. But uh, anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about Corinthians. We uh, This morning, we talked a great deal about the plan. We, I talked about Coach Dave. And you, you can find that radio program eventually on the network and at hisholychurch.org and, and uh, keysofthekingdom.info and uh, you can find it on our podcast under Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, but uh, he had, uh, Coach uh, Dave uh, uh, was talking about the fact that the courts are corrupt and the schools are teaching our kids socialism and he had all this big long list of complaints and so he was offering that we needed to do certain things to prepare because this country seems to be taking a particular course that is going to bring uh chaos and destruction. And and, and it very well may be. I mean we're kids are being graduated from college thinking socialism is good and socialism in the last century killed millions upon millions upon millions of people. And uh, they're also even thinking that communism is good. And they have no knowledge of communism. They, they, they don't know about the Road of Bones. They don't know about the Gulag. They haven't read Solzhenitsyn. They're ignorant. But there is a, a big movement, and I talked briefly about Glenn Beck's uh, Democratic Hydra uh, series. And I recommend anybody want to go... Find out a little bit more about what's going on in the world behind the scenes. He's kind of revealing a lot of things behind the scenes. And there's a lot more. And he doesn't have it all right or anything. But you're not going to get the truth in the modern media. The media is is extremely controlled, extremely manipulated, and to some degree extremely ignorant. But my solution was... And, and uh, we have an article up on Coach Dave Dubin-Meyer and what he said and what my response to what he said was. And, of course, that leads to dozens and dozens of other articles that will teach you and explain to you what's really going on and the forces of nature that are making these things go on in the hearts and minds of the people. Why are people being so easily duped in a particular direction? Why aren't they more clearly understanding which way they should be going and which way they should not be going? Why are they seemingly so confused? And I quoted Plutarch who said that the man who first ruined the Roman people was he who first gave them treats and gratuities, benefits, what the Bible calls the wages of unrighteousness. And people just don't understand how that works. But And, and I explained and quoted Polybius, who was a historian of historians, who was 100, 250 years before Plutarch, but 150 years before Christ, and was explaining, you know, 150 years before John the Baptist even, 
explaining how this idea of taking benefits at the expense of your neighbor was destructive. Destructive to you and destructive to the rest of the world because of the fact that it alters the way you think. It alters your actual mental capacity to understand certain realities in life. And what I tied in this morning is the fact that the same problems going on at the time of Christ, same time as John the Baptist, same time as the early church, but the decline and fall of the Roman Empire was well on its way. People think that somehow or other the Roman Empire was made great by its emperors. You know, Caesar and conquered this and conquered that and it became powerful. What it was... Rome became powerful 300, 400 years earlier. Became dominant 300 years earlier, 200 years earlier. But then it began to flex its muscles. It became a policeman of the world and they were, they were meddling in all kinds of other countries and they were, you know, actually taking over other countries and uh, they didn't colonize so much uh, in some places, although there were a lot of Roman colonies up through Italy and Greece and even in uh, what became Spain and Gaul. They went there usually to mine or trade or something. And, of course, they had the ships that were bringing goods from all over. But they became really wealthy and powerful because of the fact that it was a republic. They had no rulers. They had no lawmakers. Even the Senate was not lawmakers. The word Senate meant old men. And they were a part of this network that they created through what they called the hearths. So many families would get together and those families would pick somebody and then that those guys would get together and then eventually you had what they called equestrians. And it was this network of community and eventually the equestrians picked who would be the Senate and the Senate would be old men from every different district who were respected and considered wise, and they would get there, and they would share information about what was going on in this province, or what was going on in that province, and in this part of the the, the Latin League, and etc. And uh, they defended one another, they helped one another, they traded with one another, and they created these bonds of society. It wasn't bonds of a civil society. It was bonds of a society. And if you listen to that uh, Glenn Beck's Democratic Hydra, you will see this phrase coming up, civil society. Civil society, civil law, is the law that men make for themselves. Now, if it's a corporate civil society, there's somebody who's elected as a lawmaker. That's not what originally representatives and senators were in the United States. They were not lawmakers. They could make law. I mean, the president could even sign executive orders. You know what the first executive order of George Washington was that he ever signed? He was ordering dishes. (laughs) That was his executive order. Now... We have, you know, Clinton signed an executive order stating that the federal government was the supreme moral authority in the United States. 
Well, I was, I thought in the kingdom of God that the supreme moral authority is God. <laughs> and God is to write his laws upon your heart and your mind. But there's been a transition and a forgetting of the old ways, what they used to call the ancient ways, and th- then accepting other ways as a substitute. It is prophesied that in the last days there will be some who remember the ancient ways. And we talked about that, that the the way of Moses is not what most people think. It's what most people are taught today is a distortion of what who Moses really was. Because Moses and Christ were teaching the exact same thing. But the Pharisees were teaching something different than what Moses actually intended by the time Christ came. So when Christ began to teach, they did not recognize Jesus as teaching the same as Moses. This is the whole transfiguration scene that they talk about. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus Christ were in agreement. They were not teaching different things. This common fallacy in modern Christianity is that somehow Jesus changed everything from what Moses had taught. No. Jesus changed everything from what the Pharisees were teaching people that Moses had taught. If they really knew what Moses taught, they would have known Jesus. So anyway, that's an important thing to understand. Corinthians were getting that. The Christian Corinthians were getting that. Modern Christians don't get that. Of course, modern Christians aren't doing what the early first century Christians were doing. And so we need to get back to doing that because that's the ways of the ancient. And we show you those ways in the early church. We show you those ways in what the Levites were originally doing. We show you that the Teutons were doing this. And wherever anybody was doing this, they became a stronger society. But people would begin to stray away from this formula of Christ, which was the formula of Moses, which was the formula of Abraham. And it began to alter society and alter the way that people thought. So when you go back to read, you know, uh, Corinthians, if you go back to study history, you need to understand these principles and parameters so that you can understand what was really going on at that time and in these places. So we, we got to, uh, third chapter of Corinthians and the fourth chapter of Corinthians, second uh, Corinthians. And now we were starting in the fifth chapter. So we really ought to start right there. And I said that this morning that, uh, you know, I had entitled the chapter, Do You Walk by Faith? And walking by faith meant that you were not walking by force. You were not, like Polybius says, you know, living at the expense, the, ma- the the masses continue with their appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of a rule of force and violence. That's socialism. Uh, it it also could be uh, colonialism, where you know that America was not really established by colonialism. The Americans who fought in the American Revolution were against colonialism. They were settlers that came here. They actually, and I could tell you all the stories about the, the secret stuff that went on with the pilgrims and stuff. They came here to establish themselves here, not to colonize 
in the sense of colonialism, but to actually migrate here and settle here. And they bought land from the Indians. They didn't come and just steal all the land from the Indians. They were allies with the Indians. And their Indians were fighting amongst each other and all this stuff. And there are some of the most successful tribes of Indians in the United States today have no tribal status. They're doing great. And all the other Indian tribes could be doing really great if they would stop seeking tribal status and get with the program. Unfortunately, the program of the Republic, what early America was, Americans aren't even with anymore. They're straying from that formula. And all the problems you're seeing are not from capitalism. It's from apathy and from uh, socialism and from not caring about... You have to not only not covet your neighbor's goods, you have to actively be working to set your neighbor free. Actively working to help your neighbor get strong also. And to take care of one another and be with one another in a system of righteous social interaction. Because we're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And so you need this righteous social interaction to create this camaraderie. And the Romans understood this in uh, 300 A.D., and in 200 A.D., but they were starting to lose sight of it in 150 A.D., and uh, that's why they destroyed Corinth. Uh, that's why they also, uh, well, Carthage, they may have destroyed that partly because Carthage was getting kind of arrogant, but we need to always look for the facts. Right now, according to the the Democratic Hydra that we see Glenn Beck talking about, there are people using some of the same taxic, tactics to control the minds of the people, getting out there and creating spontaneous revolutions or whatever, and they're actually manipulating people into bringing down governments so that they can come in and create their own governments and seize world power, world government, etc., etc. Will they succeed? Well, eventually they will fail, because it always fails. And really, the ultimate evil that is behind all this wants to see mankind fail. Wants to see mankind destroy himself, lose dominion on this planet. They they don't really care about gaining control. They're dangling this control or this power in front of men who are trying to seize these offices of power. But the problem was is that you created the offices of power to begin with. You should not have created the offices of power. And you did this partly with the Constitution and the changes that you have wrought in the Constitution and your dependency upon uh, social democracy for your benefits to take care of one another. And Christ was saying, no, you have to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And John the Baptist was saying the same thing. And Paul said the same thing. And Abraham said the same thing. He left Ur with many souls to do that. Take care of one another. Not with civil society, but with a righteous society that operated by faith, hope, and charity. They walked in faith. And of course, that's one. So now, we're talking to Corinthians. Paul's writing Corinthians who are doing this. 
They're actually doing it. They're not just having church on Sunday or Sabbath and then and then talking about how they love God and 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 studying a little bit of the Bible as long as they don't actually find out what the Bible is talking about. They're actually practicing pure religion and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. This alters your mind the same as socialism will alter your mind. Your covetous practices will alter your mind. Because this is what repentance is. It's a changing of the mind. So the first verse is, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. So he's talking about a spiritual house. And see, this is when you begin to Walk in faith. Really walk in faith. Not in a faith in your beliefs, but faith in actually walking by faith instead of by force. It will spiritually awaken you. You're a spirit inhabiting this, this almost robotic biological unit that we have that with fingers and toes and arms and legs. You're a spiritual entity inhabiting that body. That that body is your earthly house of this tabernacle, this human body. But when you're awakened and begin to listen in the spirit and walk in this spiritual faith, and evidence of that is, are you practicing pure religion or do you have covetous practices? Are you forgiving or are you... Uh, judging one another, pointing the finger, those darn Democrats, the, those darn socialists, those darn Antifa people. They're victims, too. We're supposed to love them. What's well, so just drive them crazy, drive them away. And it might awaken them. It just depends. There's no guarantee. So for, in this, we groan earnestly. Desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. In other words, we want this spiritual identity to become dominant in us. Well, we have to walk the walk. If so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words... There's another parable about putting on wedding garment. That's what we need to do. We need to walk in forgiveness. We need to walk in extending grace to others so that God extends grace to us. We have to care about others so that God will care about us. We have to hear the cries of others so that God will hear our cry. People think it's about going out and explaining to everybody what they're doing wrong. And certainly I do that. (laughs) But it really isn't. It's about loving others with a love like Christ. Not a love that weakens, but a love that strengthens. Not a love that deludes, but a love that rebukes. Different kind of love. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon the mortality, that mortality be swallowed up of life. 
Yeah, he he had talked before about this idea of uh, being burdened, that we are burdened, you know, in chapter 4, I think it was. He talked about burden, but not, uh, and oppressed, but not despair, and, but we were accepting the weight of that burden. And what was the weight of that burden? To care for one another through faith, hope, and charity. There wasn't heavy persecution at that time in Corinth, but there was a heavy social welfare program, and you could not be a part of that social welfare program if you were a Christian. You had to not eat of those other temples and free bread of Rome. You had to take care of one another, and at times this got really hard to do. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, he says, being burdened. So there is a burden, but Christ says his burden is life. Uh, is light, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, he's talking about salvation by works. He's saying, receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to be judged by our works. Paul says this a number of times, but most people, you know, kind of skip over or skip around it or try to rationalize it. But it isn't that we are going to earn salvation. And what I want to really point out here is when he says, judgment seat of Christ. Christ is not Jesus' name. Christ is the anointing. We are all supposed to be anointed. I was explaining to the ministers this morning in the email that I sent out. I talked to them on the minister's call on Monday about some health issues. And that I had a premonition that I needed to do something. But I did not follow up that premonition as quickly as I should have. And I suffered for it. But eventually I got caught up with what I should have done a couple of days earlier and things got way better. And it was health issues with myself. And evidently now these health issues may extend to others who are having similar problems. And and it's been resolved without going to a doctor. Because I God was showing me the solution even before the problem arrived. But I didn't listen as closely as I should have. And I fully admit that. But then when I did see it, then I was able to 
of course, I, I was actually, before it got really bad, I was already in the process of getting what I needed. But uh, it was a day or so before I got it because of the fact that I had delayed. But God knew I was going to have this problem days before I had this problem. It's not a big deal. It was just uh, electrolyte imbalance. But, I mean, it, it was life-threatening. I mean, I was close to death a couple of times. But I overcame it in proper time because I finally did listen to what God said. We're all getting that opportunity now. We're all facing things that we need to be doing, like sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and cultivating this idea of caring for one another. Not scolding all the time. I do a lot of scolding, but I'm that voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And I have to tell you, you're not straight with the Lord now in order to have some validity to telling you that you need to make straight the way of the Lord. So right now, most churches are not the social welfare of the people in their congregation. Most churches send the men, the people in their congregations to men who exercise authority one over the other to get their benefits. And Christ said we were not to do that. The early church wouldn't do that. They were early churches persecuted because they wouldn't do that. People are professing Jesus with their mouth, but they're not actually walking the walk. So, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, that's what it says, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Now, if you remember when we were talking earlier, I think it was, Maybe in, um, yeah, in uh, the chapter before, he, he talked about commending ourselves to every man's conscience. And so now here in chapter 5, which is a continuation on the same letter, it's not really a different chapter, it's the same letter, he's talking about manifest in your conscience that we trust also are made manifest in your conscience that you will think of us. Maybe you'll care about us because we're working to care about you. Now, I would love it if all of our ministers were out there rightly dividing the bread from house to house and doing a regular daily ministration. But uh, people really haven't got that idea yet. They're still dependent upon the daily ministration of the men who exercise authority. And some people are starting to get it, but the numbers are not great. But... Are you going to only believe when the numbers are great? Or will you believe now when the numbers are not so great? Will you, will you believe only by signs and wonders? Or will you, is it written in your heart to go this way? And some of you it is. That go this way. You cannot be free as a society, civil or otherwise. Unless you go the way of Christ, which was a way of taking care of one another without dependence on the governments that exercise authority. We're not going to take down the governments that exercise authority. They're going to fall on their own sword. What we're going to do is start to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, operating through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence. That's it. If you start doing that, then your mind will be, your consciousness will be awakened to a new way of thinking. And that's called repentance. And it will change the way you act. So here in verse 12, actually I could go to a break now. Somebody evidently broke in at the station and 
a lot of our audios are missing. <laughs> I don't know what happened to them. They seem to all be gone. So, so somebody hacked into the system. They changed the password, and I, I've got the new password, so I'm in. But somebody has been doing bad things on the, the station studio. So I, I'm not going to take a break. I'm going to keep on going. So anyway, we're in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. So what is this? Uh, glory in appearance and not in heart. We probably need to, again, look at this word glory. Because it's really, it's one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible probably. And a lot of people, they see it and they read over it and they they have lots of different ideas about what it looks like and how it is and and, and what's it supposed to mean. But we see this, the idea of this glory in appearance in Second Corinthians. We, we find it in a few other places where this same word glory uh, exists in, in the text. But the word glory is from a, a particular Greek word, kuchima. You know, well, it's a noun. And it's translated in a number of different ways. And there's actually a couple of different words that are but in this particular case, it's this word that is sometimes translated rejoicing, sometimes to glory, glorifying, boasting as a noun. And it means that of which one glories or can glory, matter of ground or glorying or glorying or boasting according to the concordance. But the word itself is from another uh, Greek word, kocho amai, which is... Uh, a verb, and they that's translated glory about 23 times, but also boast eight times, rejoice four times, uh, make boast, and even joy. And they say that it it means, again, to glory, whether with reason or without, to glory on account of a thing, to glory in a thing. So are we getting an idea of what this word actually means it's from acheo, which means to boast. So it's it's like taking credit for something. Well, if you take credit for your righteousness, you you're not a very humble person. You if you take credit for the fact that you figured out how the system works, you're going to get yourself into trouble. If you try to go out and convince people they're wrong, and they need to think this way then, you know, is that you glorying? Is that you taking the credit? I figured this out. You need to figure this out. I did not figure this out. This was shown me. And God wants to show you too. I just talk about it because I am compelled to talk about it. My faith compels me to talk about it and tell other people about it. Um, But this idea of glory has to do with taking the credit. Or something. And what what do they say? To, to God all power and glory. So he's he's saying here that ye may have somewhat to answer them which take credit in appearance. Well maybe they say they're Christians. They say they're saved. 
they say they're righteous. Uh, they say that, you know, we're doing it right. We're fighting for the rights of people and trying to get everybody to become socialists. <laughs> Which is kind of an oxymoron, but that's, you're, because nothing takes away the rights of the people quicker than socialism. Because as soon as you're in a socialist state, the state has ownership of your labor. It has the ownership of everything you produce. And it will take everything away from you as it so desires. You think it's going to take away from the rich and give to you. No, it's going to take away from whoever they can take away from and they're going to keep it. And if they don't like you, they'll take away from you too. Because you've taken away the right of the individual to have a be the means of production. That's what socialism does. So anyway, they, back to somewhat to answer them which take credit, glory, in appearance and not in heart. In our hearts, we have to give God the credit. And he goes on in verse 13, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, kind of makes us humble. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. And rose again. Well, how do we live for Christ? Because he doesn't need us. We live for Christ to live as Christ. Who came to save others. So we gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Not to save ourselves. Not to take credit because we figured it out. But to help and save others. Not certainly like the home churches who get their little home church group. Yeah, they want to go out and get other little home church groups. But I have not yet found a single home church group that wants a daily ministration that takes care of the needy of society. They all, all the ones I have come across, and I can't say all because I haven't come across all of them, but they all go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. And and like Polybius, they have an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence. They don't do the force and violence. They have the government do it. And they've grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others through a socialist state. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And their advocate used to be when I grew up, communism was bad. Socialism was bad. Now, most of the kids coming out of school because you've sent them to a socialist school think that socialism is good. This is altering the course of society. It's going to turn everybody into perfect savages. And the zombie apocalypse will be upon you. So, you have to change your ways. You can't change them. Yeah, you can bear witness, but really I think the key thing is that you have to create a network that is actually doing what Christ said. And in that process, you're going to be putting on the wedding garments that Jesus talks about. And you will be clothed like Paul talks about. Because of the fact that you are 
taking care of one another, but not boasting of yourself. You're actually doing it, and you cannot get it done without sacrificing of yourself, like Christ, so that you will have a more abundant life, a more abundant spiritual life. And then when you need to get something for your health, or turn left, or turn right for your health, or for your life, to save your life, or to save others' lives, you'll know what to do. Because you will be spiritually awakened. Unfortunately, most people are not spiritually awakened. So, so I'm not sure. They will not rise in Christ. They will not rise in the anointing. They will not receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They will not be able to do all the things that Christ did. And even greater things than what Christ did. They will not be able to do. Because they will not lay down their life in love for others. They will not gather for the purpose of saving others. This this alters you in a way of putting you in another place where you are actually plugging into a spiritual source that will give you information you will not even be able to get from the tree of knowledge. The people who are trying to study what I teach and think, well, I'll get all this knowledge and I'll put it all together and then I'll, I'll go and I'll be able to do it myself. No. Because it's not, we're not eating of the tree of knowledge. We're eating of the tree of life. And you can't get near the tree of life if you're glorying in yourself. If you're glorying in your cleverness. If you think you're going to figure it out and you know, do this, 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 and this, and then you've got it made because you figured it out. No. You can't figure it out. The Holy Spirit must reveal it to you. It must, He must be the comforter, not your intellect. And having a real, being a real smart individual with a big intellect where you can remember all kinds of facts and information is actually a dangerous temptation. Because it's power. And power corrupts. You know, if you're really smart, that's power. And that being really smart can corrupt you and think that, well, I can eat of the tree of knowledge to figure this out and I will have my edge. No. So he says, and this is my title of this paragraph, If Any Man, and it's the last paragraph in this chapter, Wherefore, henceforth, no, we know man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet, Now, henceforth, know we him no more. Now, what he's talking about is, you know, Christ is in the flesh, was here. He's not here now. How do we know Christ? How do we know Jesus? How do we know the Spirit of God? How do we receive the Comforter? He says in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, be in the anointing, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. They are passed away. He's He's not passing them away. He is not dependent upon necessarily all the old things that he learned. I've been taught lots of stuff. Most of where I, has got me to where I am today, I had to forget stuff that I was taught that wasn't simply not true. <laughs> I had to let go of them. And that's one of the big things that we talk about these things and people haven't heard this before. They don't want to let go of what they have already accepted as true. And that's, you know, the old... Mark Twain, it's not so much what you know, 
It's, see, what you don't know, but it's what you absolutely know is so that just ain't so that gets you into trouble. Because you have to let go of the lie in order to take hold of the truth. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, actually, nothing's really new under the sun. It's just new to you. And you're starting to see things differently. And he goes on in verse 18, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. So that's an interesting concept. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? We're, we're, we're trying to get back not only to the, you know, Christ didn't come to take us back to the days of Moses, although he was going to take us back through the days of Moses in the sense of sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's why he commanded that we organize that way and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, not like you did in Egypt where the government was going to take care of you. You don't want to do those things. You you want this, what he calls the gospel of reconciliation. So what is this gospel of reconciliation and how does that work and and where does that put us in the scheme of things? The word reconciliation, there is a a word that shows up only four times in, in the Bible and it's translated reconciliation twice. It's also translated atonement. It's also translated, it's not the only word for atonement, and reconciling. And it has to do with an exchange. That's actually what it means. Exchange. Of the business of money changers, exchanging equivalent values, adjusting of a difference, reconciliation, a restoration to favor, a restoration to grace. So that's really what the word is talking about in that particular verse. And so when we read that in verse 18, he's talking about we're supposed to be taking care of one another. They're all telling you you don't have to do anything, but you do have to do something. You have to take care of one another. And that's how, because we have to hear the cries of others for God to hear us. To hear our voice, we have to hear others. To to be forgiven, we have to forgive others. So that's really the key. Verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. When he says that in in the verse 19, that word world, we should always try to point out when they use the different words world. That is constitution reconciling the constitutional orders and systems of government unto himself. But they have to change. They have to change the way they do things. Well, if you're going to be the government of the people, for the people, and by the people... The best thing to do is to start taking care of one another in faith, hope, and charity through congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands. That is going to be the best way to preach the gospel to other people is to become a doer of the word. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ, in the anointing, stead, in Christ's stead, Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, so we're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to be gathering together, willing to lay down our lives to one another. And right away, since the next chapter, you know, chapter 6 starts out, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. You have to be workers. Not workers of iniquity. Not covetous practice. Perfect religion. That's what is the message. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, and distresses. So, necessities and distresses. Well, these dursts were passing through the land. That's what Paul, one of his first jobs when he joined with the apostles of Barnabas, was to go out and deal with the necessities and distresses that were taking place. Because they had to be the entire social welfare. They couldn't call on Rome. They couldn't call on government. So when Coach Dave talks about, you know, take your eyes off government. How much do you want to take your eyes off government? You just want to not, not go down and try to get the right guy elected? Or are you going to become the government of the people for the people and by the people start taking care of one another in a righteous society instead of the civil society where they're doing it by force? Because the force they were using in the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. All you have to do to make the word of God to effect is to start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Start helping one another. And you need to do it the way Christ said to do it, the sharing the way Christ said to do it, which is in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which is the way of Christ. And that's what we have to go back to that way of Christ in order to make these things happen according to the righteousness of Christ. We haven't always done that. <laughs> We've actually done quite to the contrary of that. So in... In my side panel here, we had a few notes in back there in uh, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. That uh, Matthew uh, 22.11, it says, And when the king came in to see the gifts, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. So how do you get the wedding garment? You have to start actually being a doer of the word. You can't just believe. You know, or say you believe. You can't just profess with your lips. You have to profess with your whole body. With your whole life. And, you know, he went on in verse 12 of Matthew 22. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having the wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him. Hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that's serious stuff. Christ is saying this. This is Christ's parable. 
But Paul's talking about us being clothed. How? Because we're actually clothing ourselves by taking care of others. What did Christ say? Many shall come in my name, but I know them not. They'll be workers of iniquity. And I have a link there in the site panel so you can go read that article. Who who did he bring into the kingdom and who did he reject? Those that did not clothe me when I was naked. They said, but these over here who clothed me when I was naked, they can come in. Well, who are they? They're the ones who clothes the least of his brethren. Who are his brethren? Those that are doing the will of the Father. There are many people out there in the world who will never become a part of our network. But when they see us doing, like they've seen me over the years, doing what I do, taking care of people, taking people into my house, I actually have several living quarters where I can take people in. I built them, and I live in very, you know, I don't live in abject poverty, a very comfortable house, but I built it myself. And I heat it myself. <laughs> I take care of it myself. I pay the bills myself with my labor. The, the fellow who was visiting here when I came in, and he says, you know, it's Saturday. How come you're working so hard? And I, I mean, like I was speechless. I mean, I work every day. You know, I, I should be taking a day of rest. And if a lot of you would be working the way you should be working, I could take more days of rest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the Levites are supposed to retire at 55 from manual labor. I'm still out there doing manual labor <laughs> at, at, at quite a few years beyond 55. But the reality is, is that those people who blessed me were blessed. And those of you who bless the brethren of Christ will be blessed. And I'm not the only brethren of Christ. There's others out there. We should be trying to find them. But you have to, that's part of seeking the kingdom of God, is seeking those who will be a blessing to others and supporting them in their work. I got here, does the delusion beget delusion? Where is the strong delusion? I have a live link to our article on strong delusion. If truth begets the truth, then a lie begets a lie. And that's what's going on, is the modern church is telling you a lie. They're telling you a false, short, easy, uh, sugar-coated gospel that is not true. And they're deluding you. Does delusion beget delusion? Yes. Do modern Christians live unto themselves or according to the covetous practices of the world? They live according to the covetous practices of the world. The modern Christians. Real Christians don't. But modern Christians aren't real Christians. If they were, the world wouldn't be in the state that it's in today. But there had to be this great falling away. We're told that. But now that I'm telling you there's been this falling away, you get to turn around and come back. But right now you must realize that you are made merchandise. You have cursed your children and you have been cursed by your parents because they all went after those men that Plutarch talked about who were giving away these gifts, gratuities, and benefits. They became accustomed to living at the expense of others, and they prayed to men who called themselves benefactors, but exercised authority one over the other. And they have been again entangled again in the yoke of bondage. That's where you're at. Because you haven't been praying to your father in heaven, you've been praying to your father in Sydney, Australia, and Washington, D.C., and London, and all these places where you get your benefits. 
Because the church is not the benefactor of charity anymore. It does have some charity, but it's token stuff. Completely different than when America was becoming great. Completely different than when Rome was becoming great. But very much like Rome when Rome was beginning to fall. And that's when we see the Christianity rising up to become real Christians. And that's what we see the Corinthians doing, becoming real Christians, taking care of one another, sending uh, aid to Jerusalem where Jerusalem could redistribute it to other parts of the world where it was needed because they had this network of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and ten thousands, and hundred and forty-four thousands. And that's what you need. Is it the will of the Father to covet, to bite, or to love one another? And I have life linked there to article on what does it mean? He says, be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. Done deal. You're devoured. Because you've been biting one another. First it's little things like public education. Then public education supported not just by the county but by the state. And then not just by the state but by the federal government. And then now they regulate what everybody is learning and reading and they're regulating the press and they're regulating Facebook and they're regulating all these things. All sin is a transgression of the law and covetous practices are a violation of the law. And if you're going that way, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But I will say, go to preparingyou.com. Go to hisholychurch.org. Look for the network links. Join the network in your local area. Join congregations in your local area, even if you don't come and meet in the same house. But do that so that we can start to expand that network that is part of Christ's plan. And so that you can have an awakening. Whatever energy you expend in that direction will start to awaken you spiritually. And so that you can walk in spirit and in truth. But until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. So until next time, God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.